welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Podcast. Some people just play games, other people play games, and then talk about them afterwards. This is Cannon Fodder, my name's Joe O'Brien. And I am Nurse Troy. Wow, you did not prepare anything for this week. Well, what, you saying uh, it's not cool to be a nurse? Because no. that's just rude. I'm just saying it's not creative. Can I it's take just your, functional. Can I take your temperature? <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> this is just... I brought a thermometer. This is just a <laughs> You see, Troy gets his energy up when there's more people in the room. That's right. There yeah. is more people in the room. I've got an audience. <laughs> You know, we got such terrific reviews last week with having Skid and Grant on. We said, hey, let's try. And it's tough because it's hard enough to get everybody together just for the limited amount of time that we can just record the episode right. in an evening. And we were like, stay a little bit later and we can have all five of us on. And once again, Matthew bags out. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But I want to thank once again Skid and Grant for coming back. Hey, thank yeah. you, guys. Here, here, here. Hello. <laughs> Fucking Matthew, we emailed him earlier this week. We said, we're like, let's just try to do it. And he literally just sends, I'm not going to be able to do that. And then while he was here, before we were able to record, he says, I have to to go change into a suit and then be at a blah, 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 some writer thing. (laughs) He's just so important. Like, why is he so much more important than you, Troy? Uh, he's, he's not. Well, <laughs> not. He just wears a suit. Troy, you were saying some really interesting things about how you should never trust Italians before we started recording. Could you say a little bit of that on the air for that me? That was off mic. That was off mic. But I stand by it. Well, I do sincerely appreciate Skid and Grant taking the extra time to stay around a little bit longer. And I'm really appreciative of it because after the episode, it became so... Uh, Amazing that we had an opportunity to actually just have Grant sit here and we have talk have about Baron because right. what a Baron episode it is! It's really exciting, and I want to get into it because we've had some backstory stuff from Will recently, some backstory stuff from Nestor recently. But it's been a while since we've had backstory stuff from Baron, and we knew going into this episode that it was going to be of that nature. I just didn't realize how much and how much impact it was going to have. And so we're really excited to talk about that. But I want to, Grant, give me a second here. I just want to table that while we recap the episode a little bit. And then we'll go back and really delve into the Baron stuff. Starting off with the combat, this is exactly why I play Pathfinder and games like this. Where the boss fight, the the boss that you had fought at level, what were we, three? They were three, yeah. Level three is, I mean, that was a terrifying fight where we were really like, oh man, we're up against it here. And now we're just straight up fighting three of them and making them look pathetic. <laughs> you know what it's like? Uh, Dark Souls 1, the first boss is the, or the first real boss is the Taurus Demon. And then you get to the later levels and there's like, they're the mobs. Yeah. The there's Taurus like four Demon's or five all over the place. You've got to fight. Yeah. It's that, that same sort of thing. It's just that concept of character advancement. You're getting better and better and better to the point where the things that you used to have trouble with before, you can just mop over. And I think part of it had to do with the tactics. Skid, your thoughts. Yeah. I re- that was uh, saying is like, I really enjoyed just the thought of the image of Sir Will riding around the perimeter and his wolf just pointing at the guy like challenging him with his, with his, I smite thee with his pen and flapping in the wind at the end of his lance you know I just that was so that was so cool 
And uh, yeah, it, it was great. I mean, and it is, I, I love that sense of, you know, getting a, a sense of advancement and how badass, you know, characters are becoming, like fighting that same, uh, just picking them apart. I was just great. I, was, I just, I loved it. Yeah, and I think that's part of it is that distraction that somebody like Will can create really just opens up the opportunities for somebody like Nestor and Baron to, from range, just take people down. Yeah, I love that because Will has so much mobility. Yeah, that is so. It's and now uh, with Della adding haste into the mix, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just the mobility is mind boggling. Yeah. It gives you such an advantage. Now, you don't always have such an incredible open field like that. Right. So we were lucky there for sure. But I mean, those guys have 60 feet of movement on a charge, and he was able to get out of that within a round. Yeah. And that is very rare for it's characters to be Kansas able to do. Kansas City Cave Giants versus the True Nazis. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Uh, Grant, were you concerned at all during the combat that we were not going to crush these guys? I was pretty confident going into the session that we would. Uh, what were your thoughts going in? Well, I was having a miserable day up to that point, and I, I hope it didn't show up on, on the recording. But I just was out of my head, and I wasn't taking full advantage of my own character. And I was kicking myself for not casting long shot and touch of law on myself right away because I would have automatically nailed all these and it oh, right. It would have been even easier. Yeah, there was a point there where you were just out of touch AC and you mm-hmm. missed against regular AC. If you had cast long shot in that first round or whatever, that wouldn't factor in. Well and, and with that wouldn't have factored in and with touch of law under haste with rapid reload and alchemical cartridge, I would never miss on four shots. <laughs> never miss. So that is do, terrifying. When you do touch of law, so that's every roll for the round. I believe so, but this is a great chance. We can. This is the first a we are stupid article from a cannon fodder. <laughs> we are stupid cannon fodder. I, it, it might just. Be, I'm pretty sure. It's I'm just the pretty first sure one. you're right. not stupid. No, I'm pretty sure it's the whole round because I think it works like bit of luck. I right. think. I think. Well, you know what? I could be wrong. Oh, you know I what, feel though? like it's your next D20 roll. I, I think it is. I'll look it up while we're talking. Like, uh, what is touch of good? Because that it would probably work the same way as touch of good, which I think is just a bonus to uh, your attack and damage rolls. But I don't know if, well, if it's multiple rolls, then it would work in a similar fashion. Anyway, you look that up. Let's talk about the end of the episode because uh, we don't need to talk about the middle it's more exploring it's more backtracking working our way out but it's nice to you know get away from from covering our whole northern region which is really kind of our back as i like to think of it quote unquote that's the back the south is where from the early parts we really thought that our goals would be there but i think that after we talked about it last week on cannon fodder going back over what were our original motivations yes we did just pick a route but then we continued to reinforce i think that we didn't want to walk right into the maw of the beast and we had maybe a feeling it was south and now it's been proven that it is south as we walk further south we walk straight up to i just think of it as mordor like I'm yeah. just like you look over that gate and it is just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. Skid, what what are we gonna do in this next uh, next recording session? Oh boy, I like I thought after like, after we stopped, I was like maybe because it sounded like right on the other side of this palisade there are hundreds of giants and they've been alerted to our presence and I don't know if we can get away or whatever. So I was like maybe we're meant to be captured. That's what I thought. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But you, we know you have great instincts. Right. Well, sometimes. Mostly because you read the books in advance. That's why. 
that was the instinct I had was to read all the books. I was like, that you was know the what? instinct I had was to I read the Tammy ass kids. You should have heard Skid during the Dukakis campaign, though. He was way off base about that. <laughs> That's a great idea to ride in that tank. Um, but, oh, man. The but, amount uh, of listeners that don't get that reference is just. <laughs> Wait, a reminder that I'm the oldest member of the crew. Um. But, uh, I remember but too. Got it, got I remember it. being such a little kid. <laughs> yeah, happening? yeah, I was voting at that point. But, uh, but, it was Skid's fourth election. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> I mean, he was no McGovern, but I still, I felt back then you had to use the pencil to, to make your vote. <laughs> but uh, Grant brought something up, uh, which I want him to talk about. Is it's so similar. And I hope no one's who's playing. If you're playing Rise of the Rune Lords and you haven't got to book four, then maybe fast forward. But there's a point in Rise Spoiler of the Rune Lords. Spoiler alert. Yeah. yeah. There's a point in Rise of the Rune Lords where you come on a, come upon a very similar situation. And we had a great time figuring out. We had to infiltrate this to get to our next objective. And it was a camp of giants. And the way we played it is that we put the rest of the party into manacles. And the giants in this area sometimes cooperated with barbarians who were out there. And so my character is a barbarian, and he teamed up with our friend Bob, uh, who was a, a bard who had like comedic one-liners as his a, performance. He was a stand-up comedy bard. <laughs> like an insult comic bard. Yeah, so and the great. two of us led the whole group in manacles and we acted like we were trying to sell slaves to the giants further in the camp and like we had to do all these bluff checks and they're like who are you and we we had to bluff our way through the whole camp and it was so much fun it was the old Wookiee prisoner trick yeah well i'll tell you it came down to the fact that della yet again said i'm gonna do invisible and fly and that took seven minutes you know lingering there had you come up and been like oh gate blocked let's turn back then maybe these creatures wouldn't have found you. But that delay, that debate, you got creatures... Well, they didn't see Della. It's because of the delay they saw us, is what you're saying. Well, what I was going to say is these creatures with the scent ability... Ah. Uh, uh, smelled barren. Just waiting. Watch, it smelled the <laughs> I smell like a giant. I covered myself in blood. Way. If you guys had just done that... You smell like Ingrahild's finger! No. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Too soon, Troy. Too hey. soon. Oh no, it's God. just about we're, on time. We're, we've been working through. Wow. We've been working through <laughs> Troy's right on time. We've been working through Troy's mommy issues offline <laughs> for, for years. So this is just another. We're working with him. But yeah, um, it, was, it was the hesitation. He who hesitates. These creatures. Uh, well, we'll, if, see, we'll see what happens in 93. If, if we had done what I requested the whole party to do, which is cover ourselves in the scent of Ved and the giants we had and covered ourselves entirely kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Predator but this is still but it's been days, days and days yeah. since then yeah, so. you know how stank. bad a giant gallbladder smells when you cut it open <laughs> I mean I <No>. do <laughs> <laughs> but your average listener won't yeah um, well what so yeah is it that's what I imagine I'm not I'm not necessarily saying that you're definitely right Skid but I can't imagine a situation in which we just like defeat the encounter next week and just walk away from it unscathed right. in some way. Yeah. How do they not know 
if the watch guards on the walls can see us, how does someone inside not know? And then tell someone inside, and then tell someone inside. You know, I, I can only imagine it being either we have to run or we get captured. Right. Uh, and I don't mean like immediately sprint from all combat, but like right after the combat, we might have to like run and try to hide. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of options. Troy, though, said they were all dressed like stormtroopers and we could just take their outfits after we kill them, right? And we can just sneak in that way? I, that was off air that I <laughs> okay. mentioned that. Yeah. Aren't you a little short for a storm giant? <laughs> <laughs> <That's perfect. laughs> oh, I almost gave so a cannon good. fodder bottle cap. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. All right, let's go back to Touch of Law. Did you find out? Oh, yeah, it's all attack rolls, all uh, ability rolls for a full round. There now, you go. Wow. Now he's terrifying. Now, yeah. now the question is... Especially for him. Yeah. The question is... Is it a swift action or a standard, standard action? Standard action. So you oh. have to take a round out. Like, it would affect my next round. It should be. Shapers, it should be a two-round action. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, you take that round out, it's still so worth it to guarantee it four straight hits with haste. With haste, it's absolutely worth totally, it. Totally, totally. But, you know, otherwise it may not be. Um, and you're not going to crit... Right, you know, and that's a, you know that's the other big crit. thing. And you know, I don't know what the the stats are, but I feel like crit master in the whole campaign. I feel like I've crit a lot for some reason, yeah, or at least at opportune times. I mean, Matthew had a lot in a row because of the, the falchion, because or the, of the scimitar, yeah. and he extended and the, the crit grind, range. The yeah, he could he could keen it, but he has not rolled well in a while. Yeah, it's been really in like, off in like ten sessions. Yeah. yeah, it's it's crazy. And and by that same token, I haven't rolled poorly in a no. long time. There's like some kind of ghost that's like <laughs> passing from you to him. It's yeah, gormly. I think it's it gormly. is. And it p- might be gormly. <laughs> yeah, I like so, that. To pull the curtain back a little bit, uh, typically, I mean, we have had different recording setups, but Matthew sometimes has a economy of space. He has a smaller space in which to roll. So sometimes <laughs> so he wants to live because he's because so, so <laughs> he's so tiny. <laughs> We keep him in a shoebox. <laughs> like, like, he sleeps in a chest of drawers. <laughs> like, That's why you'd think it would be easy to get him on these cannon fodders. Don't worry. We I sleep in a drawer. We, we punch some holes in the top of the lid so he can breathe. <laughs> he sleeps under Troy's stairs in a, in a small cabinet. But I've always... i boy who lived... It's, Matthew under the, the stairs. It's, it's, it's just sad. Yeah, that headshot was before his scar. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's sad to see him roll and fail because he has to make these really tiny wrist movements. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the guy just yeah. rolls like twice and, and he looks at it and it's like normally if you're waiting to see the result of a die roll and it's really important, you, you that's why I dropped so many die off the table the other episode because I was like, oh, I got to get this great. Because uh, you have some suspense and some buildup before the number gets revealed and Matthews is just like, I failed. Every yeah. time Grant rolls, it's like someone is striking the hammer of us on the anvil. It's just like, boom! I'm rolling my die. Well, you know, I didn't realize until Skid, Skid got a brand new uh, rolling box. What is it called? A rolling tray? A dice tray. A dice tray recently, and I was like, I mean, that seems like a an extra encumbrance to have to carry to, to game sessions, but we were... I was playing uh, the minus o- one to your dexterity skills. <laughs> I, was, I was playing the other day uh, in, in your curse campaign, or a, a week ago, Joe, and I didn't have enough room to roll, and I had all shitty rolls, and I think it's because you need space to roll. You want to yeah. let that die... Yeah, the place where we played had sort of a glass table, which is not fun for rolling. No. There's something about that, like, ting, 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 that is not appealing. It does, I'll tell you what, it doesn't work well with weighted die. (laughs) (laughs) I learned. I learned that. 
Well, I would like to get it back to Baron now because obviously we have no idea what's going to happen next week. We can guess all we want, but we don't really know until we actually get down and play the session. And I'm <clears throat> I'm very excited to see how this combat goes. Not to mention the animals that are in the woods that are closing in on us. Don't know what those are. Some we saw sort of saber tooth. Yeah, we oh, saw totally, we saw a brief picture. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, so we're kind of oh, flanked man. here, so we don't have a clear path to flee. I'm not sure how it's going to turn out, but that is... We'll talk about that once it happens. I want to talk about Baron, the backstory of Baron coming to light here, and all of the elements that went into it. And really, because I'm out of the loop on that entirely, I would just like to turn it over to Troy and Grant and just have you guys tell us, kind of explain how this came to be. If Grant, if, Grant, if you had anything to do about it, Troy, if you're just surprising him left and right, what is happening here? Uh, you you want to start, Grant? Want me to start? I mean, Troy has incriminating evidence about my background and uh, has told me that he's going to make all decisions about my character, or else he'll <laughs> release that information. No, um, uh, Troy, you start, and I'll I'll chime in on to how I react. Well, it, it's interesting in this situation because in a normal in a normal game, you know, the character uh, the player creates a backstory for their character and then they, they hand to the GM be like, well, here it is. This is what it is. And that's what all of you did and uh, and did with your, your backup characters. Grant being the only one without a backup character uh, thus far. God willing, not for long. Uh, <laughs> God is good. God is great. <laughs> but he, uh, what, the interesting wrinkle that we have here is that with the Droja episode, with missed, with episode 61, missed, missed Opportunities, it all of a sudden brings in this new element that your whole backstory is all canon. That is all true. But one crucial part of it wasn't true. And so now I have a playground in which to play with to surprise you about your own character. And that was a decision that you just made. It's just made. Why? Same about Lork having a son, having a child, having, you know, uh, Galabras having the, obviously. But talk to the GMs out there. Why? Why did you make that decision? Because I think it's, it was, it's more, I mean, you can tell me, Grant, but I think it's more fun for Grant to, to have this idea of having a character that you know, you know his life story, but. There's a whole element that he doesn't know, so I'm now I can surprise Grant like I did in this episode. To me, that would be so much fun as a player to be like, what? I'm still learning things about myself. I think um, it was a, a wise move in this sense. Um, it didn't arrest any sense of personal agency I had in controlling Baron, but it added a wrinkle into which I wanted to know more about him. I think the worst thing you could do as a GM is go up to Lorak and say, you're a half-elf now. Right, it's right, like, right. what the hell? Yeah. Um, this simply changes, and I have a pretty defined idea of where Baron's from, what his family's like, everything like that. Um, but because, and I have, I feel like Baron, by becoming the sheriff of True Now, and uh, the Shinnerman fortune Banksy that's graffitiing everything with Toreg <laughs> um, has, and and Abria's defender, he's fighting out there for Abria right now. He has reasons to continue, and he's not just a mindless killing machine, and he is gratified, and there's a huge relief in Baron when a grudge is settled. Um, so I think he has something natural, but to have one more little thing, one more little twist, one more unknown that even I don't know, I think is smart for a podcast that other people listen to Sure, as well. Um, but I think the, the more I get to know, I'm still kind of never sure how to react to it. 
Um, but I think the thing, which is why I'm glad I'm on uh, Cannon Fodder to talk about this, because I'm not sure how I would bring it up to Della, Nestor, or Sir Will, is that <laughs> there's a actually an immense sadness for Baron to know that the family he called his own is not his family on some level. And there is a pride of place in familial honor within dwarven society um, to the point where he doesn't feel like a traitor per se, but he feels a profound sense of loss at not being a red heart necessarily and being an ash peak. And even though it fits into everything, it's just really sad for him. Yeah. I I can only imagine like the situation, like finding out you're adopted and never getting a chance to deal with it at all, especially for a dwarf, for someone whose ancestry is so vitally important to them. I can't imagine. I, I mean, mean, that's got to be huge. It's det- he can't even discuss it. It's, de- right. it's determinative to the point where uh, it determines your profession. It could probably Nargrim change his name to Steelhand at some point. I'm not exactly sure. But, um, you know, Umlo even took on that last name, but that was his choice to cut his arm off and to become that. This is not my choice. And the fact um, that my parents are both dead, my adoptive parents, means that I can't find closure with that. And I'm just, I'm hopeful not just to find an Ash Peak and to figure out where Ash Peak is, what it is, what it means in Galarian, but I'm also hopeful along the way that I'll I'll meet another Red Heart so I can talk about that Mm -hmm. and talk about how even though I don't carry forth the name necessarily. Unless this is all a ruse, um, I still continue on the tradition and the honor and the craftsmanship, which I've been trying to do through the boat and, and, and other crafty ways. I just throughout love the it. Way. I just love it because it, you've created this character who you embody and who you know. But I've been able to, to some, and I, I hope that I can do this with every character. I've been able to create something in you where you're. St- You've got to discover something about yourself. And to me, that's that's so interesting. Like, when, when Joe, when you decided that Lork could not be a part of the mission anymore, you told me, and you didn't tell the other players. That's different than this, where it's like, I'm get slowly giving you information about the truth. Maybe. Maybe the truth. Maybe not. And it's allowing you to kind of piece together this tapestry of who Baron really is. But like the family that you knew is still your family. That's the only family you've ever known. But now that you know that they're gone, or at least if Droja's vision is true that they're gone, it allows you to keep living for a reason to find out more about yourself. And I mean, that's a great story. Which is something I think that we can explore on the show, maybe, hopefully, is that this is Sir Will's story. You're talking about someone who takes pride in his adoptive family, who has these connections in his adoptive yeah, family. Yeah. And maybe is it because they don't have as much, they don't put as much importance in blood as dwarves do? Are halflings weaker for, for that aspect? Or is it because uh, the particular family he had was just so great? And maybe that was the same thing with the Red Hearts? Or you know, what allows him to cope with it? Maybe that's something that Baron and Will could talk about in the show. It'll be interesting to see that happens, and I, I, I think we'll discuss it, but one of the key distinctions is the uh, ability for deception by having the same race as your adoptive family. My my family be, 
they your family was unable to say, oh yeah, you came right. out. There was mom. never any question. Right, right, right. right. At least big, till you, till big you difference. Until uh, you turned seven or something. Right. Well, <laughs> right. well, there's also the huge difference uh, and the huge question that remains for you, which is why did they never tell you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I also, or did they mean to and were taken too soon, or were they protecting me in a way? But for me personally, not to get too deep, but my. Uh, high school girlfriend uh, was adopted and uh, her family was wonderful and they took a, a great deal of care of me and I encouraged her up until being 18 for her to meet her mother to meet her mother they knew who she was she called they got her number after she was born um, and she was resistant to do so so I would think without that experience as an adopted child that I'd want to go out and meet that biological parent as soon as possible but I I I understand and, and sympathize uh, to a greater degree because of that experience, the idea of being afraid to know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, this is a very special episode of Canada. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I just love that, you know, it goes back to why do we play this game? Because you can you can just, like, oh, hey, we kill that dragon! Or you can have moments like this of real character reveal yeah. and emotional uh, investment <laughs> in these pretend characters that we're playing. Well, yeah. let me ask you from a gaming standpoint, the, part of the reason for Cannon Fodder is to in, impress upon other people the experiences we've gone through in playing this game and things that they can do to make their game better or if they choose to do so. And so I wonder... The, the the follow up question that I would have for you guys is, Grant, do you like the turn that this has taken? I, even though it's a struggle for Baron, do you enjoy it as a player? And Troy, do you still think that? I mean, obviously, you still think that this is the right decision. But are you certain that Grant is on board for it? Because as a GM and player, those are they're sensitive topics. Grant, I'm going to go with you first. Do you think that this is something that you wanted to happen, and you like that Troy is sort of pulling the rug out from under your backstory. How do you feel about it as a player? And you're talking to GMs out there that are thinking about doing this to their players. Well, this is in the interest of transparency and, and in no way pejorative or negative what I'm about to say, but um, and I'm, I'm saying it in, in the interest of the group dynamics and other role-playing groups too, but um, Troy is in more constant communication with Joe and Skid and, and perhaps Matthew, I'm not sure, uh, than he is with me. So there's part of me that's wondering like, oh, what's... I'm not given the same opportunity. Was I not? But I hope I'm on board. That's the thing. Whereas you orchestrated Lork's exit and and had a good idea of doing that. This is again, totally different in so many ways from that, but those big character changes or, you know, uh, Galabras being made comatose and, you know, having to react to that, this was placed upon me. So, um, it's kind of like a, blind faith leap of trust and there are times as i'm role-playing this live where i'm hoping that i'm going the same direction troy wants to and now he can give me a grade f through a (laughs) well what's nice is like this i don't think there's any wrong decision you can make grant is like if i'm going to put this on you then it's on me to like just um accept what he does accept what you do and allow that and i'll tell you right now it it already has allowed me to change my idea for where the character goes. So what I try to do is create situations, like create plot points, if nothing else. The reveal of the name, Droge's uh, Through the Mist, 
um, X, Y, and Z, uh, so that I can see how you react to it as a player, and then based on how you react in game, it then completely changes where I think the. So you don't have Baron's arc written already. I have if 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 I had my druthers, I know exactly where I want it to go, but I, I leave it so loose that I, I want it to change based on what happens to Baron, based on Grant's decisions on what Baron does. One one last insight into Baron's reaction, especially in reference to the pictographs showing the the volcano and 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 the the coming of age uh, procedure in which ash peaks leave a child with a gun underneath uh, them to uh, prove their worth in kind of a spartan-esque way um i think that at first glance baron finds that barbaric um and kind of awful and off-putting so um it also opens up potentially an area of of nature versus nurture determinative determinativism based on your birth and your blood or if you can change that or if you're fated or not and i think that's kind of interesting ground Uh, it's just a matter of seeing in the coming episodes what's interesting um is will i talk about that with other people or will there be kind of a situation where um gormley talked to kesson plum at his house you know is it an npc that you play i i'm not sure how that's going to unfold and that's what's exciting it makes me think about in usgroth's tomb i know i know we have other stuff to talk about it goes back to the uh after you defeated screed and you had him all tied up right before baron brutally murdered screed in cold blood uh <laughs> Feels you good, killed man. the skeleton usgroth's guardian the giant skeleton and then found these treasures that seem to be faded towards Galabras and Gormley and Baron and Lork. And I think it was you, Skid, who says, like, I feel like this was, we we were meant to find this. Yeah. And now those other three characters have all faded off into the background in various degrees, but Baron is still going, and Baron still finds himself in these situations where he is faced with something that seems fated for him to find. Um, so it's just going to be really interesting to see uh, how that all unfolds over the next two or three episodes before Baron dies. <laughs> I, I, I will also say that I am uh, very um, pleased um, that the giant versus dwarf, which is not just big versus small, there's a difference between the relationship between dwarves and giants and sure. halflings and giants. I'm just, to some degree, I, there's only four of us, so that maybe explains it. But I'm I'm almost surprised that the whole party didn't start with like four dwarfs in the beginning. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, oh, believe me, I regret it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, I just want to make a dwarf character. There's yeah. so much interesting <laughs> dwarf history in this yeah, valley yeah. that it, it it you feel kind of robbed of it a little bit as a halfling, mm-hmm. you know, because there's there's no halfling stuff going on here, which is kind of frustrating. But the the dwarf story is so great, and I just want to give. I want to give a little bit more to Umlo too, as as a player. I want to chip in a little bit more on what he's thinking, you know, while we're in this place. All right, that's enough about Baron. Let's get to the fans and a little listener mail. Yeah, boo! <laughs> Troy, are you shitting? <laughs> I'm not booing the fans. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> We're just four guys dancing in a living room. Just, just your average night. We're successful. <laughs> this one comes in from My Name is Alexander. I'm a listener from Minnesota. Alexander from hey. Minnesota. Thank you so much. Alexander the Grape. Grape. 
<laughs> for writing in. He is a huge fan of the GCP and an avid Pathfinder player and GM. And I want to bring that up not only because it's great to hear from our huge fans, but because <laughs> he's an avid player and GM. So this is somebody who knows what he's doing. He's been around. He's done this for a long time. An adult. I'm writing in because I feel like I'm struggling with adapting to GMing via an online medium. When in person, I can much more easily get in the zone and I can pace about. I can walk around to various players. I can get in their face, use gestures and posture to convey meanings and to convey NPC personalities. While on roll 20... I often feel confined to my chair by both the camera and the headphone cord. What's more, having everyone on their computers makes it very easy for them to get distracted. So here are my questions. One, do you guys have any tips for GMing in an online environment? What have you learned from your own Roll20 campaigns? And two, how can I best engage my players when everyone has distraction just one click away? How have you handled this in your games? This is another tough question. We've just been lining these up for weeks, it seems, these tough questions. And I want to bring them up because fans are writing them in and they are good questions. And just because I don't have the answer does not mean it's not going to get on air. That is why I bring up this question because I don't even know exactly how to answer this except to say I feel your pain and I've been there. I ran Wrath of the Righteous briefly on Roll20 and I think Roll20 could be a part of the contribution that led to it not happening. I mean, a big part of it was the mechanics of that AP and the mythic rules and all that kind of stuff. And I, But a significant part of it was it was harder to get that inspiration online. And so let's try to talk through as a group our experiences with online gaming and what we've learned to do, what we've learned not to do, and maybe if there are some answers here to try to keep players engaged and and to keep the GM engaged because the GM has to be the most engaged in the game. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, then everyone else is going to falter. Uh, I don't even know where to start. Whoever's got something to say, jump in. I, yeah, it is hard. I mean... I don't know, man. Like, I mean, it's great. It's a great option to have, like, Roll20. It's great for people. Like, I know people who are, like, listening to the show and are on Discord. Like, they're able to play, you know, living in different parts of the country and everything. But it's just no substitute for getting together and playing in person, unfortunately. Yeah. And it is. It's super hard. Like, you're sitting there with your computer. Like, no one knows what you're looking at. Like, it's just like, oh, I'm going to check Deadspin. You know, it's like, <laughs> one guy's know. got really bad sound. Yeah, yeah, that is the worst. uh, And not to mention bad internet. Like the internet just, some guy just freezes Uh, in the middle of his round. I'd like to. That was your move action. Okay. (laughs) John, what's your standard action? John? Are are you frozen, John? And he's just got a big smile on his face staring at you. Because Troy had the shittiest internet for a while. Man, and I was GMing. It was brutal. He was GMing, so. It was brutal. It was like the best last resort. My only thing is for is the same as general gymming advice is just just keep checking in on people. Yeah, I mean that's all I can think of. You've got to find. You almost have to over overcompensate when you play online. Like the things that you take for granted in a personal uh, group setting, you have to really overcompensate i think checking in is is a great uh way to put it is like just do more of that every hour just to make sure everybody can hear what you're saying 
and uh, and like have them repeat the story so far. Like, all right, so where are you guys so far? What what have you discovered? Just make sure that everybody is paying attention. I will say to your credit, Troy, and I would like to hear maybe a little bit more from you about your thoughts on this exact thing. I'm going to flesh it out a little bit more because honestly, once I had Gwendolyn, we took Jade into Roll Twenty, right? And we did a few sessions like that. And I was never bored. I don't know about you, Skip. No, no. But I, I, I yeah. was never bored. And I think you did a great job. And part of it was definitely you're overcompensating and not in like a way that was bad, not with a negative connotation, but like you were so aggressive and active on mic and on camera about being like, can you believe what you see? You know what I mean? Getting really excited about it that it inevitably drew you in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I just think that you've done a good job with it. It has been possible for it to happen. So as much as we all agree that playing in person is better, it can be good on Roll20, and I yeah. think you've done a good job. Well, what's, what's, what makes it easier is you can see people's disappointment and boredom <laughs> on the, that's, little, that's in the little tiny square. So yeah. when, when the minute I see like one guy just like turn to the side, I'm like, all right, Troy, you got to keep him in this. You know, and I'm like, ah, oh, that guy just... You know, you just you, you raise your energy up. But to try to keep that up for four to six hours is is tough i mean i i do think it's possible in 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 to credit you joe in your wrath of the righteous campaign what one thing that a, a system like roll 20 allows you to do is you can build these amazing campaign journals with photos and information so then it kind of feels like you're translate it's the closest thing to translate the pathfinder experience to the video game world well i will say i will say that is probably my most straight up answer that i have to this question without getting too logistical, is just go into the benefits that Roll20 has that playing in person doesn't. One of those is your ability as a GM to craft the journal entries to include, I had pictures of the actors that were playing the NPCs uploaded. I had brief summaries of the NPCs that I didn't spend a lot of work on. I just cut and copied and pasted things right out of the adventure path. Oh, one of my favorite things you did is when we'd hear a name of someone, you would put up a silhouette with just the information that we had of this character, whereas other characters that we met, we'd see their picture, the actor yeah. that played it, but you put up a silhouette I, I, of a Yeah, I did, Go- I did Google image searches for silhouette of a woman, silhouette of a man, silhouette of a demon, silhouette of a beast, silhouette of a succubus, I remember doing. <laughs> and you can find them on Google Images and just put them on your Roll20 campaign, and then you have a list of people who are, have not been identified yet, but who have been heard about. And you can build that before the game starts... And then just reveal it to players right during the session because you can say, now players can see this. So you can put the work in ahead of time. You don't have to create this profile live while you're playing. You create it ahead of time and then just reveal it to the players as it happens. Again, it's not as good as being in person, but the journal aspect is better than what you get in person. I will say Way better. Grant, you're in a Roll20 game right now, right? I'm playing Strange Eons with Matthew Koppel as the Ooh, game master. Creepy. And Strange Eons is wonderful because it's Lovecraftian and you begin the, the campaign in a fugue state where you're not sure who you are and where you are. I almost want to get Sirenscape out for Grant's oh, man. Uh, I, conversation. I'll tell you, I read book one. It is awesome. <laughs> I can imagine that it's got to be hard to translate that to Sirenscape, especially... To Roll20. Uh, excuse me, to, to Roll20 because it's all about mood. That horror idea. The shortcoming, thus. Let me continue to talk in my Terry Gross <laughs> yogurt commercial selling voice. Uh, the trouble about it is that the 
you can do the work with Roll20 and make the icons and, and the art as good as you want to, as you guys just discussed. Some of the monsters thus far have been kind of like clip art almost, and they don't have the horror that you're supposed to have in that situation. But otherwise, uh, Matthew's done a great job. He has a Google group that allows this conversation and, and this journal keeping as well outside of Roll20. And he record. I think the Hangouts integration is going away, but we record every session through Hangouts, which is nice. Smart. Really nice to be able to go back and watch. Um, and I do think that a lot of this does have to do in the same way that when people would do satellite remotes for a news program in the 90s, and there would always be a long pause and talking over each other. Right. As people get better and better internet and as the technology gets better, it's going to be much closer. And and we're still going through those, those steps. But that's why I encourage everyone who's playing this way and is forced to play this way to join the Roll20 forums, discuss problems, issues, ideas for the development team to continue improving it because this tool will react to that type of community feedback. And, and that's really important. So don't just use the tool, complain, say this sucks. I'll never use it again. If you can tame your inner internet troll and for a moment, write Constructive <laughs> feedback for another human to read at the end of it. You could make a better tool for everyone. Yeah, it's like living in a frontier town. <laughs> well, and, and another thing that it gives you the advantage of, which you had partially mentioned grant is the, the maps and the the characterizations and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, there are some that are kind of like lame clip art, but there's some that are really good. And some, let's focus on the advantages that you have to online gaming. I mean, I can say, at least in my experience with Wrath running that for you guys, and with Jade being a player, the maps are way better than when we play in person. So putting that extra work into maps and into all that artwork can keep... Uh, your players focus there's also new stuff in development coming out soon that seems like big steps steps forward like there's that i can't remember there's some app where it's like a three-dimensional representation of like a tabletop it looks like dwarven forge stuff and it's like you have your minis like on the thing and like you can step your minis forward and like the fog of war like automatically like builds like the dungeon like as you see it Oh, I, I posted awesome. I posted on the Facebook page like of months ago, but uh, but it's like it's, it is like a virtual like three D like super cool miniature table. Well, I'll tell you, you I'd know? love to play in person, and all of us just have our laptops just so I could have the maps. Like yeah. play play yeah. on roll twenty in person because yeah. just getting to use the actual Pathfinder maps is is so much better than trying to draw. I mean not so much better, but it, there's something it adds Well something. it's more work for less quality. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's also really a phenomenal feature about it if no one's ever done it before is I spend like a ton of time just like drawing the line out that tells you how many squares away you are from people. Oh like, yeah, yeah, love that. That's a ton of fun. Um, but the other thing I would say about I talked a little bit about support and and being a member of the community. But in the same way, when people ask me, "Hey, Grant, is is Hero Lab worth buying?" and I say, "If you're learning or an expert, and you spend hours and hours and hours and years and months playing these games, then yes." It makes your life easier. The same thing with any type of support for Roll20 or anything like that. If you're using this tool endlessly, 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 and you're getting something out of it, just do what you can to spread the word, support, and and make it better. I think if you only play Pathfinder once in your life, you should still buy Hero Lab. (laughs) 
<laughs> is the single greatest thing. Yeah, it's pretty. It it's pretty great. It, well, it also just makes the game better because you're yeah. playing it more accurately. But that, that's that's beside the point. I I'm going to throw in one thing, uh, just a logistical thing to address Alexander's concern about ha- his style of GMing, which is right in line with my style of GMing, and I know is in line with Troy's style because on the Glass Cannon podcast, Troy is walking around all the time. Mm-hmm. He gets in players' faces. He is able to be mobile and everything because he has a lapel microphone, and that's the thing that makes a difference on our show, and I think that it would the show would suffer if you were not able to GM like that, the way that you want to. Yeah. And in this case, I think it's tough when you're on a laptop. I, I understand that, but maybe investing, honestly, in Simple little things like head cord extenders or plug-in microphones with a long wire can change your game because I have done Roll20s where I've plugged my laptop into my television and I've had a really big screen to work with and I've put myself back farther in a big room and I have been able to stand up and be active about what I was doing because I spent $6 on Amazon on a headphone extender. You know, (laughs) like little things like that can drastically improve your game rather than just being locked into that two, three foot space right in front of your computer. I also really appreciate that it allows you to do all those strip teases you're so famous for by being that far <laughs> back from the camera. It allows you to see the whole torso. <laughs> yeah, you're going to the, the go-go tavern. Uh, you, you can really play those NPCs properly. Well, Alexander, thank you so much for writing in, truly. It's a good question, and I'm sorry if we didn't give you the best answers, but I, we just wanted you to know that we feel your pain. Online gaming is tough compared to gaming in person, and it is really the best option when you're out of options. And that's kind of what we're talking about is, is improving that that experience. But we really uh, are so excited about all the people through the Discord that have been playing online because of playing the GCP. And ultimately, a lot of it comes down to personality. A lot of it comes down to the people you're playing with. You want to make sure that you're playing with people that are not going to be easily distracted. You want to play with people that are going to give that extra bit of attention to you and try to focus on you while you run this game. I know that that's a lot to ask, but it is part of the experience. If you find someone that no matter what you try to do and no matter how hard you work, they're constantly distracted and not paying attention, then maybe they're just not the right player. Maybe it's not you doing something wrong. So keep that in mind as well, that that's possible. But do all the work that you can to make it engaging and Hopefully, you'll see a, uh, a that engagement in the players. And I liked what you said, Troy, about how when every every player that you have is zoomed in in a little box, you can really tell right away when somebody's not in it. <laughs> right. When they're a little focused or a little distracted and you have to up the ante a little bit. That's why we put the extra work in. We're GMs. That's what GMs do. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So thank you so much again for the question. Please remember to write into us with your questions at glasscannonpodcast at gmail.com. We love trying to dig into as many of these tough questions as we can and i'm sorry if we haven't gotten to yours yet but we are trying to get to them one by one thank you so much to skid and grant for coming in and sitting in again another week in a row after an episode i'm not sure that we'll be able to do this as frequently as i would like to but it is nice every once in a while to be able to just sit and talk the way that we do tend to talk when we're not recording yeah and get it on the record. And we start talking and this is like we just start talking like this. It's like, just, just, shut up. Save it for air. We talked about naming Cannon Fire episodes a few weeks ago. It's going to be White Collar Fudgeon. We'll call this one Ingrahild's Finger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> <laughs>